Welcome to the DL. I am your host, Tyler Robertson, also the CEO and founder of Diesel Laptops. This is the podcast show where we get to talk about everything going on in the diesel industry. And before I even get started, I want to say this. Welcome to season three. So through two seasons, we've learned a lot. We have a new set going on here. So you can look around. It looks different than previous seasons if you're on the video portion. And I'm really excited about what we have going on this season. So I have CEOs, I got presidents of associations and companies, I got best-selling authors, we got some sports athletes coming up this year that are involved in our industry, all kinds of great stuff. And let's not forget, we'll have diesel technicians, we'll have shop owners, all kinds of people across our industry that really live and breathe everything going on. So again, I just want to say thank you to all the listeners, all the people listening out there on podcasts, where all podcasts are played. Truly appreciated. And again, every time you guys like, comment, subscribe, it tremendously helps us. And I'm going to dive right into this here on season one, season three, episode one, because I'm super excited. I always talk about commercial truck. I talk about equipment. There's actually a big industry that a lot of people don't really talk about a lot, and that's buses. And we're going to dive into it. I'm not talking school buses. We'll talk about that a little bit. But we're going to talk about all these other buses that are out there. And I think if you really look at it, there's been a lot of impact COVID's had in our industry. And a lot of it's actually, on, on, you know, saddenly been good for people in our industry, right? Repair shops are booked up. Tran- truck manufacturers are way booked up. Diesel technicians are hard to find. There's been some good stuff. There's obviously been a lot of bad stuff with COVID and the effects it's had on businesses. And I, I think we're going to explore some of that today. So today I have Peter Pantuzo here with the American Bus Association. So, Peter, let's just get, you know, kind of right into it here, Matt. What, what is the ABA? Like, who, who are you guys and what do you represent? Can you give us a little background on your association? Sure. So we are, we are the association, the primary association for the private bus industry. So we were started in 1926. We're based in Washington, D.C. And the core members are people that operate private buses, motor coaches primarily, um, but today they operate a lot of different vehicles, large vehicles, smaller vehicles. You mentioned school bus. Some of our members operate school buses. Pre-COVID, we had about 800 motor coach companies. They represented in round numbers about 65% of the fleet. So everybody's familiar with companies like Greyhound and Megabus, some of the larger companies. But there's also companies called you know, Joe's Bus Company and, and Friendly Travel and places like that that a lot of people, if you're not from that region, may not have heard of. Most of the industry is made up of small companies. Um, the average bus company has got fewer than 10 buses. And many of them are multi-generational. They're probably not that different than the trucking industry or all other businesses. You know, I've got companies that are 100 years old that are on their fourth generation, for example. So our primary objective and the way we were founded, the reason we were founded was to look out for the industry in terms of its its workings with Washington, D.C., regulators, with the legislature and Congress. And we still do that today, among other things. So, you know, my experience with bus is actually really limited. Uh, you know, I'll tell you my experience. I was a freshman in college. My dad refused to pay for a plane ticket. So I took a Greyhound bus from from New York to Minnesota. That was my first time on a bus, but but otherwise it's mainly been like the shuttle buses, airports and car rentals and, and things like that. So in those industries, like the, you look at the airports and car rentals, and those shuttle buses, I don't know if they're called transit buses or the right word is, are those, are those like third parties that are contracted by those companies or are they owned by the car rental companies or how, do, how does that kind of break down? And you see there's a lot of like small bus operators. Are they 
tourism bus? Like, what, what are these people doing with only a couple handful of buses? Yeah, that's a great question, Tyler. It sort of depends on the on the company and on the industry. Um, you know, in our in our case, you know, our buses, our members' buses usually fall into three primary categories, and those are scheduled buses, so a Greyhound, a Megabus, a, a point to point, or city to city. And then you've got commuter buses bringing people into work every single day, especially in urban areas. You know, I, Washington D.C. is a good example. I mean, everybody thinks about our metro system here. But there's almost 20,000 people that commute in and out every single day on private buses from Maryland, Virginia, you know, from an hour to two hours away. And then the biggest segment in terms of numbers of companies are charter buses. So, uh, you know, that bus that comes together to take a group to a football game or take people on a tour, go to see fall foliage in New England. And then the fourth category would really be, you know, kind of a catch all. It's contract services and some of the things you mentioned you know, taking people at airports and taking them around. Some of those are contracted services. Um, the other side of the commuter business, we've got commuters that commute in, not into an urban environment, but into a very rural environment. We've got people that are running commuter buses into mining operations all over the country. So, you know, they run the whole gambit, but, you know, we usually think of, of the industry from our segment primarily as the larger motor coaches, uh, the elevated passenger deck and a baggage bay underneath. But, you know, today our members run everything from small shuttle buses to school buses to, you know, everything in between. Some of our members have limo services, you know, they're in the transportation business and, and they've expanded, you know, their, their footprint beyond just motor coaches. So I think the interesting thing too, is how much of a history the bus industry actually has in the American culture. Like we were just yep. talking about this beforehand, even going back to the the war days and, and everything before. Can you give a little impact on how, how important buses were, I guess, as the United States was kind of coming into the new century? I'll go all the way back, as a matter of fact. Uh, you know, our members are motor coaches. And you think about uh, you think about coaches, you think about stage coaches. We've even got a couple of members whose family four or five generations ago was in the stagecoach business. And they put a bus, they put a motor in it, became a motor coach. And so that's sort of the history, you know, going way, way back to the beginning to the early 1900s. And then, you know, you go beyond there and, and you've got companies that, uh, that may have started out on a very small basis and then grew from there. You know, I've, we've got a company in New York, they're called Campus Coach, for example. You know, that company, the founder um, who, who passed away recently at 104 was going to the University of Michigan. And as a student, he started bringing uh, bringing other students back to New York on the weekends. And that's how Campus Coach started. Great stories like that, great history in our industry of these family operations and how they began. Yeah, and it's played a big impact in the economy, right? I mean, you know, obviously you were just saying before this too, the military uses buses and coaches to, to, haul, to haul around all the personnel and everything. And I think the other interesting point is for people that live in rural areas, if they don't have a personal automobile, there's not another option. It's it's buses. Yeah, that's that, that's right. You know, when I think about the military, I think of these iconic pictures that you see back in the in World War II, right? Troops going off to war, and a lot of the military still travel by buses if they're going to uh, if they're going to deployments. They may be going to and from uh, an airline uh, by bus. If they're going for training, they may be going to another base by bus. And, and you're right, in rural communities, I mean, it is the bus that's the connection point to get sometimes to other cities, other times to other modes of transportation. You might be in rural Illinois and you take the bus to O'Hare Airport, or if you're in Wisconsin, you take the bus to O'Hare to be able to get out. So we are, 
you know, we are part of an ecosystem of transportation, passenger transportation. We're the way that a lot of people connect with one another and or connect with other modes of transportation. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, the airlines pre-COVID moved about 700 million passengers a year. And the motor coach industry did about 600 million passenger trips. So in terms of intercity or interstate travel, you know, we are the second biggest mode of travel out there. We're, we're certainly not as, as large as inner city transit systems, but in terms of connecting the world or, or America, you know, we're it. In a lot of parts of the world, the bus is the, the preferred and sometimes almost the only way to get from place to place. Mexico, a good example, where 90% of the people ride the bus as opposed to any other mode of transportation. Yeah, I had no idea there was that many passenger trips going on in, in this industry. Yeah. So that, that's really blowing my mind here, that number. And it made me remind me, when I used to work at a truck dealership, I remember a couple times, you know, we were probably called two hours away from like the big city or three hours away. And oftentimes we needed parts from that city quickly to get a truck going. And we actually put them on buses and they would haul the product, you know, from that terminal to the, the terminal to us and we'd go pick them up. Is, is package delivery still a piece of that industry as well? Or is that kind of a fading thing? Yeah, it still is. It, it's not a huge part of the industry, but especially for those scheduled carriers, it is a part of the business. And, and you're right. You know, while you might be waiting, you know, for a shipment from DHL or somebody else overnight, the bus can actually get it there the same day many times. And the example you gave is a perfect example of that. And, you know, they, they those those packages, those deliveries, especially in rural America, are, are a vital connection and, and such a resource for those farmers and others to keep their businesses going. So I want to talk about COVID a little bit. And I know it's I know it's a pain point, but it's obviously a very big thing. They think that needs awareness because I think there's some things that probably could be done here to help. You know, can you give a little color on, you know, how, how big of a thing was this before COVID happened? And and how did 2020 look, 2021 look? And and where do you, you know, where do you see it kind of going this year now that we're hopefully, you know, we're two years into this thing, right? So there's gotta be some trajectory, whether it's good or bad. I'd love to hear how you guys are addressing it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to 2019 and the, the sales in the industry, and this is just people getting on the bus or paying for a bus, whether it's a charter or tickets, sales were about $15.3 billion. And, and that doesn't include you know, the, the trickle through effect when we take a group, if you will, to a, a tourist destination and they take hotel rooms and all of that. This is just bus revenue was about 15.3 billion. In 2020, we went down to 2.6. So it took a, about an 80% drop. In 2021, everybody was hopeful that we were gonna come back. We came back to about 7 billion, so less than half. And we don't think we're gonna see recovery in the, in the bus and motor coach industry until at least 2024. Originally, we thought, you know, end of 23, but now we're thinking 24. So it's had a huge impact. We've lost as much as a, as a quarter of the industry. Um, many small companies, minority-owned companies, you know, companies that, you know, were just hanging on and just couldn't make it through COVID. When their business went away, you know, they still had bus payments, they had garage payments. In some cases, they still had personnel costs and they just couldn't couldn't hold on any longer. It was really sad to see. And now as we're starting to come back, the other challenge we're facing, which I know the trucking industry does too, is the driver shortage. I mean, we lost a lot of people who aged out and decided that they were going to get out of the business and not drive anymore. And, you know, they, a lot of our drivers are in their sixties and even in their seventies, second career, sometimes a, a part-time job. We lost a lot of those folks. And then 
when the industry was virtually shut down, you know, people went to other jobs and they might have gone to warehousing, they might have gone to truck driving, they might have gone somewhere else. And getting them back to drive again after almost two years now is an equal challenge because, you know, now they've got a 401k, they've got vacation, they've got some seniority and they're, they're not just going to say, oh, OK, I'll go back to driving a bus when there's still some uncertainty in the industry. So it, it's had a huge impact on the motor coach industry. I, I think when I when I think about the transportation modes or I think about travel and tourism modes, I think the motor coach industry has been hit really harder than anybody else. And we're, and we're still suffering today. Yeah, I can see the headwinds, right? I mean, you talked about the driver issue going on there and there's, you know, 11 million open jobs in the U.S. today, right? Not enough people to fill them. You got that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, you have rising diesel costs obviously are, are increasing everywhere as well. Cost of manufacturing is going up. So buses cost more, repairs cost more and all these things. And obviously an industry that's heavily reliant on tourism and or people commuting to into work into urban areas right and a lot of work from home and, and all those so i i can totally see it my heart really goes out for those percent of your membership that, that just couldn't hold on i can say as a business owner that's my biggest fear is my revenue goes to zero overnight and you always justify it in your head ah, oh, that'll never happen it, it'll always just trickle down we'll adjust it, it it's got to be just just a, a punch in the gut for a lot of business owners out there and i know in our case the government actually came out and said hey, here's the PPP loan. And I'm like, oh, great. We'll keep everyone working. I can see on a bus, though, taking a PPP loan, that's great. You keep employees, but no one's no one's riding the buses. <laughs> you're still not getting that, any that, income, yeah, right? You're, you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, you know, Congress is good at, at doing things, and, and they did a good job of trying to get money out there to, to the entire country. And they thought they took care of us with PPP, and it, and it helped some companies, but you, you you're exactly right. I mean, if... You don't have any business taking a loan, even that turns into a grant that forces you to spend 60% of those dollars on employees, doesn't really help. You need the business. I mean, what they really needed, what our guys needed in particular was some kind of operating assistance, some kind of help to get them through a, a bridge, if you will. Um, there were some other grant programs that, that also helped the motor coach industry. There was a program called the CERTS Act, um, basically coronavirus economic relief. And it was, was some money for the motor coach industry, the school bus industry, and passenger vessels. Uh, it was $2 billion in total. Well, that got divided up among thousands of companies. So there wasn't a lot of money for any one company at the end of the day. But it had the same sort of impact of, of the PPP. You had to put most of your resources, most of that money toward employees. And again, if you don't have any business, you don't have any employees. So, you know, the objective should be right now, let's, let's find a way to get people back to work, get them back to, you know, commuting again and get them back to travel again um, so that we do have workers so that we can help, you know, subsidize those workers. But we got to get people back. I mean, that's the priority. Yeah, I mean, it's really unfortunate. Obviously, airlines, the government did what they could to help those guys, even passenger railroad and some of these other some of these other industries. And it seems like your industry, along with some of the others, I mean, I, I've seen you speak on CNBC, on Fox Business News. There's these other industries too, you know, theaters and small, um, what was it, small small ballparks, small minor right. league teams. Yeah. They all kind of yeah. got essentially screwed. <laughs> they, they got nothing and everyone else kind of got taken care of. So it's really unfortunate. Do you, do you, is there still hope? Do you think the federal government's still going to come through and do something there? Or is it kind of hard now? I mean, I, I you know, I don't follow politics a lot. It just seems like a lot of roadblock in, in Washington, D.C. And I, I know before this, you said you are in Washington, D.C. area. So this is probably something you know well better than most. Is there hope or is it kind of a lost cause at this point? 
No, there's, there's definitely hope. Yeah, our office is about three blocks from the Capitol, so we, we keep an eye on the Capitol all the time. Um, you know, I would have said uh, a few months ago that, that there wasn't as much opportunity, but I saw something that Speaker Pelosi put out just about a week or so ago that said she might be uh, inclined to bring back some targeted relief for those industries kind of left behind, some coronavirus relief monies. I know that uh, Senator Cardin, who's an area senator here, he's from the state of Maryland, is working on a small business package. In fact, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal online edition on Sunday about that, that, that we believe were included in. So there's opportunities um, for us and some of the others who, you know, who, whose businesses were just different than the general business and, and got left behind. You know, we need additional help. We don't want a handout. We don't want we don't want them to give just give money for the sake of giving it. You know, all we need in this industry is really a bridge, a bridge to get us through until uh, until coronavirus goes away or until, you know, we start treating it more like the flu and everybody doesn't stay home and hunker down all the time. Yeah, no, I, I hope the same hopes as you're saying there. So I, I totally get it. Um, and one of the things that we always kind of like to talk about, and I'm, I'm scared to ask this question after you've just been telling me how, how hard it's been in your industry. Um, but, you know, have there been some silver linings? So I was kind of looking at some of the Greyhound stuff. That's the one that people know about. I mean, their average fleet age went from about 10 years to about five years. They got rid of a bunch of old stuff. Um, their on-time arrivals went, went way up from 76% to, to in the 90s. Um, they got rid of unprofitable routes and they, they did some stuff. Is, is there some silver linings that you see at all in this? Will some of the stronger bus you know, tour groups, will they, will, they, will they be better off when this is all done? Or what have you seen? Is, is there any silver linings yeah. at all out there? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, we, we just had our annual convention last week. I just came back on Thursday from that. We were down in Grapevine, Texas for about five, six days. And, and there's certainly, uh, certainly voices of optimism out there. I mean, we, you know, we've seen some companies during COVID come back and, and really recreate themselves and come back sometimes even stronger than they were before. Uh, we saw a number of companies that said, you know, there's a need for mobile vaccination units. And so they took their buses, they took the seats out, they reconfigured the inside and they created those opportunities. I talked to one company that's got, you know, from the East Coast, they've got 20 buses out in the West uh, running mobile, mobile uh, vaccination units. So there are things like that that happen. Some people went into other businesses in addition to just being in the bus and motor coach industry. And, you know, as I said to, to the folks that I saw at our annual convention, if, if they made it through this far, they're going to survive. There's no question about it. Um, it's not going to be easy. It's still going to be hard, but they're going to make it. You know, they've made it this far and they're going to come back, I think, in many cases, stronger than ever. There, uh, you know, there's going to be fewer companies, obviously, but I think to demand once we get back to kind of normal travel patterns and people are willing to start traveling again, I think the demand is going to be there. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. And that's kind of the American spirit, right? You have these these big you know, headaches, these big challenges, and all of a sudden innovation comes up and people start looking at things a different way that they weren't forced to. So glad to, glad to hear there's some silver linings and some, some people really adapting their business model. The question yeah. I'd like to ask is about capacity. And I, I don't know how you guys measure capacity, right? But I got to imagine it's like the airlines where they just don't have as many flights, don't have as many routes being run. Can you talk about capacity, like how, what that looks like today versus pre-COVID? Yeah. So again, if I go if I go back to those three segments um, and I look at scheduled service, so they're operating at about 50% capacity right now. 
Uh, some places a little more, some places a little less. The Midwest seems to be a little bit stronger. Uh, when I look at the charter segment of the industry, some of those companies are are at full capacity, but you know, depending where they are, depending on how aggressive they are, but a lot of the companies are still operating at less than 50%. So if I look at charter overall, uh, I would say they're at about 50% capacity. And then when I look at the commuter segment, you know, they're at about 20 or 25%. I mean, we, we keep saying things out of New York and Boston and Washington and other major cities all over the country where companies are delaying, you know, the reopening of, of their facilities. You know, those are commuters that come in. Now we're taking commuters into work. You know, we're taking people to airports. We're taking people to, uh, you know, to hospitals to work from from different venues, you know, around different cities. But it's been slow. Out on the West Coast, I'll give you an example. You know, there's a, there's about 1,200 buses that are working for different technology campuses, whether it's Google or Facebook or companies like that. You know, most of those operations are all work from home now. So very few of those operations are, are operating at higher than 50%. I would say most of them are probably operating at 20% or somewhere along there. So, you know, again, we've got to get to a point where we figure out kind of what the new normal is, right? And, and, and everybody, you know, gets back to work or gets back to a pattern of work. For commuters, I don't think it's ever going to be the same, but, you know, it's going to be an awful lot better than it is today. Um, I think people will start traveling again. They will start taking those trips, those fall foliage tours, those spring trips. But in the charter business, you know, that's a that's a big chunk of our of our business, student business, that period of, if you will, from February, let's say, through June, when the kids are taking their annual trip to Washington or Chicago or wherever that might be. You know, those trips haven't happened in large numbers in the last two years. They almost didn't happen at all in 20. A uh, little bit of it came back in 21. We started to see that planning cycle, uh, which is fairly lengthy, you know, start in the summer and then the Delta variant hit and everybody pulled back and then it started again and Omicron hit. And so we don't know what the spring is going to be like, but I will tell you for a lot of charter operators, that spring window can be as much as 50 to 70% of their business. So, you know, until we get back again to a kind of a normal, whatever the new normal is, you know, we're not quite going to know what the total impact on the industry is. But so far, we know it's not great. So earlier you were talking about when this recovers and you were a couple years out. Is a lot of that because of like the tourism side? There is just a lead time for people to plan trips and put groups together and they're booking that stuff out one, two years in advance. Is that a big part of this? That's absolutely, absolutely right. So when we had our convention, uh, well, it's a bus convention. It's also a tourism convention. We have a lot of people that go there for the planning uh, of their trip. So we have tour operators, bus operators taking appointments with, you know, hotels and restaurants and theaters and visitors bureaus and everybody who's in that tourism planning cycle. And so they were there now planning not only for the remainder of 2022, but also for 2023. Um, you know, Congress, when I talk to some members of Congress, they, they will tell me or would tell me last summer that, hey, you guys must be doing good because they see that travel is coming back and, and beach resorts are filling up and, and airlines are moving. Well, individual travel really did start to come back. People wanted to get out. They wanted to move again. There was a pent up demand. But in the group travel business, it is a long planning window. It can be at least a year, at least six months at a minimum, and sometimes two years as you're putting those packages and trips together. You put them together and then you advertise them for the following year. So, yeah, that 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 window is long. And every time you know there's there's anything going on COVID related or anytime people pull back on travel, 
you know, those are the trips they wait on. You know, they, they, they don't want to sign up now for a trip that's going to take place six months from now. And, and if they wait to the very last minute, well, there might not be enough people on that trip and the, the operator of the trip had to cancel the trip. So yeah, it's, a, it's a very different planning window than, than individual so, travel. Yeah. So it's very similar. You know, we do, we go to conventions and trade shows and we try to do these VIP events and want to do a big thing, right? Make them a, make it a special thing. And we've gone through this twice now, like, Hey, let's go plan this thing. Let's go do this riverboat cruise. Let's get a bunch of people there. And then the Delta variant are like, oh, okay, let's cancel it last minute. And we, it just happened again. Hey, let's go do this great event here. And you're like, oh, Omicron, everyone's canceling. Let's cancel the event. You know, it, it's really frustrating. Everyone's wanting to get over the hump. It's just, you know, it's just being difficult. I hope we get there. Uh, but one of the things that I'd like to talk about just real quick is electrification. It's a big topic in the diesel industry today. It's obviously taken hold fastest in the student bus area, right? I mean, yep. it makes sense. You're a lot of that's government money. Government's pushing for it. Uh, they're they're home every night. They're just doing the kind of their little short little trips. Is, is that coming into play at all in in your space as well outside the bus industry? Yeah, it's de- it's definitely coming. It's coming a little bit slow. And you know, you mentioned school bus. There's there's a lot of opportunities for school bus uh, because, as you said, they do come back to the garage at night, right? They and the trips are relatively short in distance and in time. And if you you think about the fact that most buses or cars can go maybe 300 miles on a charge. It's probably enough for a school bus to, you know, pick up everybody, deliver them, even if it's a couple trips in the morning, a couple trips in the afternoon. So that's pretty easy. On the, uh, on the commuter side, that's probably another opportunity for, uh, for motor coaches that are involved in commuters where you would, you know, come back to the same place at night or in the afternoon to be charged. But you know, a motor coach uh, sells today for about a half a million to 600,000. An electric motor coach sells for a million or more. So unless there's some subsidy, unless there's some government, you know, invention or or infusion into that process, you're probably not going to see a wholesale change in, in motor coaches right away going to electric. I was out at a meeting in Colorado a couple months ago, and I was talking to some of the officials from the state, and they said, oh, gosh, you know, electric everything's going electric when are we going to see electric motor coaches and i said well you know you'll see them in some applications but but as an example you're not going to get on an electric motor coach and go to colorado from washington dc for a trip and the reason being number one that the electricity or the batteries take up the entire baggage bay almost and so if you're traveling that far you can't travel with luggage which could be a problem i think um secondly you know the infrastructure isn't there to charge along the way and the charging time is a long time it's not like you know pulling into that uh, that gas station that has a charger charging for 20 minutes and you're on your way with a car just not going to happen it takes hours to charge a coach that's been uh, you know where the batteries have been run down so we're going to see it there's no question about it there's certainly no question that there's a lot of government infusion into that into, into the electric space but you know it's going to be a while on motor coaches before before we begin to see it i think i i don't know exactly when over time i know that the battery is going to get smaller the distance that you can travel on a battery is going to be less you know statistics that i've seen show that you know the maintenance cost is much much less so you have to factor that in and and, and it will become cost effective over time um, but it's just not not there today in broad applications at least for motor coach anyway. 
Yeah, commercial truck over the highway stuff's kind of in that same that same ballpark area as well. Certain applications that works well. We have Proterra, who's just right up the street from us in Greenville. Obviously, they make electric buses, and they went public last year. Um, I actually got invited to Navistar's e-mobility center, so I got to go check that out here in a couple months. So we're kind of excited to see to see that whole thing. But it is a lot of unknown, a lot of uncertainty there. Um, again, I don't know what kind of grants you guys get. I can say, you know, what you see online, people getting like these 100% grants for school buses and putting in charging stations. But you're right. It's like twice the price to get an electric bus and you get to put the charging infrastructure in as well, which is which is not cheap. So it's a it's a big investment. And again, what I heard from you earlier is it's a lot of smaller organizations inside your industry that that's a big investment to go make if you only own five buses or 10 buses versus 100 of them. You know, the, the other thing we're beginning to see a little bit of, and I, and I think we'll see it in other commercial applications, there's some conversions, you know, taking an existing motor coach, for example, or, or a, another vehicle and converting it to electric. So you've already got the product there, if you will, the box. And it's about, you know, taking all the all the engine components out and replacing it with, you know, four electric motors, if you will. So that will come too. I saw that at a show in uh, in Europe a couple of years ago, and I was fascinated by it. There were multiple numbers of companies that did that. And I think we'll start to see that here as well. It's a lower cost point as opposed to a brand new vehicle. Yeah, and you made a really good point I hadn't thought about either. That was the fact that, like, on a school bus, you don't need all that undercarriage space for luggage, right? It's a school bus. Right. You need that for yours, and that's typically where the batteries go. So there, there's things to be worked out there. Commercial trucks have the same problem. There's a company I bumped into where they basically have a program they're putting together where you drive in your diesel-powered truck in, and they have a chassis sitting there with the batteries and the motors on it, and they literally move your cab over from the from the from the one vehicle to the other. So it's like this weird glider situation. So I think a lot of innovations and in, in businesses are going to come out of this whole thing. Um, and one of the one of the last things I'd like to talk about, and this is something I didn't realize, but as I was, you know, I tried to do my research on the industry before all this. I, I didn't realize there's this whole like luxury bus thing going on. Oh, yeah. So I, I saw one of the companies out there. They had a it was like a hundred bucks to go from you know city to city. But it was literally like like stewarded, not stewardess, attendance and and service yeah. and and everything. It, free Wi-Fi. Is is that something new, or has that been around for a while, or is that like a trend thing now, or what can you tell me about that specific thing? Yeah, well, I'm I'm a little biased, but I think every bus trip is a luxury trip anyway. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, you take a take a typical bus, let's say you know with 50 seats going here in New York, it's it's pretty comfortable, um, and and the cost of the bus usually is about half the price of the tolls going up there. So it, it's always been, in my mind, the way to go. But we've got in some parts of the country, uh, and there are a couple of companies up in New Hampshire that have been running trips to uh, to New York City with, with their equipment. Uh, they've got a two-in-one seated configuration where they might have 30 or 35 seats. So bigger seats, a little more room. Uh, there's a company out of Washington that does that. There's some one down in Texas. There's some others around the country that do that. And then the latest one um, that I've seen in, in the DC market, DC to New York, it's called the Jet. And they've got, in fact, I went to meet with their owner just a few days ago and also see their equipment. They've got 12 seats right now on a bus and uh, they're very, very luxurious. Uh, they recline, almost fully reclined. And they are, they are made with a Bose technology. So they took the Bose system that basically does noise canceling where if, you know a loud noise comes in it offsets it you know and and they've done that with uh, with the motion of the seat so you know if you hit a bump instead of the seat going up the seat's computerized and the seat will kind of cancel out 
that motion. So it's a, it's a flat, even ride all the way. I haven't had a chance to ride on it yet, but the next time I go to New York, I'll probably try it out, see what it's like. So, yeah, I, I think, and, and I go back, you know, a number of years ago, I was down in Mexico looking at bus operations. And, you know, I mentioned that, you know, people in Mexico embrace the bus. 90% of the people take the bus as opposed to flying or even driving in a lot of cases. And they had different tiers of service. And I think that's where, where the industry will end up with different tiers. If you want to, a uh, you know be on a bus with 50 people you want to pay 25 dollars and you get on that if you want you know 30 seats and you're going to pay more and if you want want to be on a bus with just 12 other people you're going to pay that much more so i think we'll continue to see that kind of um gradation of service in, in especially between major metropolitan areas where there's a lot of people moving back and forth so I remember the first time I ran across a Bose seat because they did them for commercial trucks because obviously yeah. truck drivers are in there. So I know what those seats cost. I can only imagine how much money they put into one of those buses. And I, I will say that that company mentioned the jet. They were just on. There's an article on Business Insider that just came out. And literally the title was one of the most comfortable travel experiences I've ever had was, was how the author came out. And really, it looked like first class flying but on a bus. And I, I can actually see where the appeal is as well with executives that are having to travel into the city, basically ride a bus, get your little work area, your work, your work center there to do your business while you're being transported. So it made a lot of sense. And I think you're right. Businesses will continue to adapt and change and new models will come out and industry moves forward at the end of the day. Well, and there was, uh, you know, and, and I, I saw that same article. I just saw it a little bit earlier today. And you know, the, the bus has always been, in my mind, again, I'm a little biased, but it's always been a lot more comfortable than riding the train. It's a lot more stable on the highway than the than the train, you know, kind of bounces you around all the time. And the Wi-Fi on the bus, which almost every bus company has now, I don't think there's any that don't. The Wi-Fi is always a lot better than the train service, or certainly than airline. So great way to travel and get some work done on your way. I'm, I'm always working when I'm traveling on the bus. Well, I just want to thank you very much for coming on. If people want to get a hold of you or learn more about your association, where would they head to? Sure. The best way to do it is to go to our website, which is buses.org. That's B-U-S-E-S dot O-R-G. And, uh, and from there, they can find more out about the industry. They can reach me directly. Uh, my phone number's there. My email's there. So any questions they might have, they can always ask. And, and if I don't have the answer, we'll get the answer. Well, again, thank you for coming on, everyone. That was Peter with the ABA. Uh, tremendous learning opportunity, I think, for everyone that's listening and watching to this. Obviously, they've had to deal with this in an entirely different way than most of us have in our industry. But what I got out of this whole conversation was with challenges comes innovation and change. And a lot of times people come out of it stronger than when they went into it. And I think that's exactly what we're going to find in the bus industry, specifically the motor coach. Uh, they're going to do a great job. They're going to be around. Buses are going to be around for a long time. I think we all need to do everything we can to support that industry. So it was great learning everything here today. For those of you that are listening or watching, again, comments, likes, subscribes, tremendously helps us grow our reach. Leaving those reviews and thumbs up on anywhere that you can find podcasts played or on YouTube. Much appreciated with that. And as we end every episode, we're going to end it with this. We're going to say it's not just diagnostics. It's diagnostics done right. And that applies to the bus industry as well. So everyone, thank you for watching and listening. We'll catch you on the next one.